Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. One of the most often read and discussed, both by those who love it and those who hate it, and of course those who are being introduced to it for the first time, parts of Thomas Aquinas's Summa Theologiae happens very early in the work. It's in the first part, the second question, the third article, and it asks the question and provides answers to it, does God exist? This is the article where Thomas introduces the famous five ways, the five paths, vi, right? And each of these is supposed to provide an argument from effects, or if you prefer a posteriori as opposed to a priori, right? It's supposed to provide an argument that God exists. And each of them culminates with this is the case, that something of this nature exists, and that is what we call God. Now, Thomas is going to, as always, consider some objections first and then go into his own view and then provide responses to the objections. And it's very interesting to see what's packed into this article. He not only provides these five different arguments, some of which are rather close to each other for God's existence, he also raises, although doesn't fully address, a classic argument against God's existence that will become a major part of the literature, pro and contra, within the philosophy of religion. And so this first objection begins by saying, it seems there is no God. Why? If of two mutually exclusive things, one of them were to exist without limit, the other would cease to exist. So that's a pretty plausible starting point. If there were, for example, infinite heat, then we wouldn't have any cold anywhere, right? Or if everything was dead, then there would be no life, right? And what is God? Well, among the things that people say about God is that God is infinitely good, or they'll even go further and say God is infinite goodness. God is goodness itself from which all other goodnesses flow. You can't put a limitation on it as you can with pretty much every other kind of goodness. So you see where the reasoning is going there, right? There can't be any evil. But we look around, and you don't have to go very far, and we discover all sorts of evil, all sorts of bad things, all sorts of malum in Latin, a word that can do double duty as evil or as bad, right? So if that's the case, then there isn't any God. This is actually an argument against God's existence that he's considering at the beginning. Then he goes on and he brings up another interesting idea, which in a certain way anticipates the often quoted Occam's razor, right? Which is not actually saying that the simplest solution is always the best, but rather that entities are not to be multiplied beyond necessity. And you could see this as a sort of instance of that, a special case. He says, if a few causes fully account for some effect, don't seek any more. You shouldn't look for additional ones. You're just complicating things in that case. Now, what about the world? Can we look at the things in the world? Can we look at the world itself and say the causes that we know, or at least can presume, there'll be similar causes to what we already do know, 
Do those provide an adequate explanation for why things are the way they are and whether they exist or not and whether they disappear or how they're related to each other? Well, you know, break it down into two different kinds of things. There are the things that are natural, frogs, for example, or mosquitoes, or your body itself. And then there are the things that are human created, the things that are, as he says, contrived effects, right? They are a proposito, meaning they're things that somebody thought about doing. For example, this tie, or any of the clothing that I'm wearing, or the camera that I'm filming with, or the chalkboard, or, I mean, we were surrounded by <laughs> human-made things, aren't we? Now, we don't need to bring in God, do we, to talk about this tie? God didn't directly fabricate this tie. Somebody wove it and then put these things together and sewed it and cut it and then eventually you know, brought it to a distribution center, which went to a clothing store somewhere. And then I exchanged some money for it. And now it's around my neck here in this place. I don't need God in that picture, do I? And so the argument is, well, we don't actually need God as an extra cause for any of the individual things or for the totality of things, because all of them are satisfactorily explained by either talking about natural things that are coming from other natural things, or as he says, ratio humana vel voluntas, human reason or human will. So that's an interesting set of challenges at the beginning. Then he brings up an objection, and this is a very famous passage that may not have been intended originally the way that Thomas is using it, but there's a long tradition of using it in this way. He says, on the other hand, the book of Exodus represents God as saying, I am who am. I am being. I am the greatest being. Well, however we want to frame it, right? The being from which all other beings come. So then Thomas will say, there are five ways quinca vis, right? By which one can prove that there is a God. And I'm not going to go deep into each of these right now. Instead, I'll do an additional examination of each of these in turn on its own. But we can look at all of them. And the first three are actually, in some respects, kind of similar to each other in that they all deal with saying, you have to trace something back from the things that we observe in the world to some original, let's call it cause. They're all about causality, just understood in somewhat different modalities. You trace it back to a single cause that provides an explanation for how everything got going. It could be about motion or change that is going from potentiality to actuality. You need to have some actuality that can take things out of potentiality and bring them into their own actuality. Efficient cause, nothing comes from nothing. Therefore, we can trace back as far as we want to in, in the order of causality. And we have to have some original first cause just as much as we need a prime mover to get everything going. Another one has to do with possibility and necessity. That is the third way or contingency, right? The things that we observe, like for example, you watching me right now, purely contingent. There's nothing in the order of the universe that made it so that you had to be watching me or that I had to exist or you had to exist or this tie any of that stuff. There has to be some reason why those are the way they are. And we can't trace it back to merely possible beings. We have to trace it back to something necessary. And that one's a little bit interesting because he even goes a little bit further and says, well, there could be some things that are necessary, 
but they're not the first necessary being. And we need to go all the way back to that. And that is God. The fourth has to do with levels in Latin gradus. So you could say degrees, if you like. Either one is a perfectly fine translation. If you want to get really cognate with it, just call them grades or gradations of being. And this is a common idea, not just in Thomas Aquinas, but in ancient and medieval philosophy, theology, even literature quite across the board, that there are different grades or levels or steps of being. So for example, you'd have bare being, And then you'd have something like living being, and then you'd have sentient being, animals, right? And then you would have rational being on top of that, and perhaps other levels above that as well. Thomas is going to say that God is the highest grade of being, but it's going to go further than that. God is actually the reason why there's any grades of being to begin with. And then finally, the last one is really interesting. This is a bit different from the first three proofs. This is a bit different from the fourth one, which a lot of people pass over because it's a little hard to wrap your head around. And this one is what we would call a design argument in some respect. It says that the reason why there is the order and goodness and not falling apart and breaking down and dying within all the different things that we observe is because there's some sort of rational governance some sort of overseeing and determining of them that's taking place. And what would we actually call that source of this governance? We can go to that. He says, everything in nature is directed to its goal by someone with understanding. This we call God. And as I mentioned, every single one of these proofs culminates with the line, and this we call God. We go, hoc dicimus deum. That's in, in most of these cases. Sometimes he'll says, quam omnes deum nominant, this is what everyone calls God, right? So each of these is supposed to be looking at things in the world and thinking about them in a metaphysical way, thinking about causality, and then eventually getting to the point where it says there has to be some fundamental principle that you could say in a certain respect is the most important or the original or the beginning of each of these, and that is what we call God. It's interesting because if you do follow this, you you could say, well, is that what everyone calls God? That seems a bit of a stretch. And another attack that has been made on this is saying, well, I mean, what we mean by God is not a prime mover or, you know, the governor of the universe or the highest degree of being or the necessary being or something like that. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of, you know, scripture or something along those lines. And that is an objection that you could make at that point in the Soma Theologia. Let's go back to this two objections. So God is infinite good. That means that there shouldn't be any evil. What does Thomas do as a response to this? Well, he he takes off from Augustine and he says, Augustine tells us because God is supremely good, he would not permit any evil in all his works unless he were sufficiently almighty and good to bring good even from evil. So Thomas draws a conclusion from this that this is actually a sign of the infinite goodness of God. He's good in a way that goes beyond our normal conception of goodness in that he can, in fact, allow there to be some evil in the world precisely because he brings about good through it. So he says it's a mark of the goodness of God that he permits evils to exist and draws from them good. 
Is this a very strong objection to the problem of evil? No, but Thomas is not concerned so much in this article with refuting that. He's more concerned with the five ways, isn't he? The second objection actually kind of fits into the five ways, as Thomas notes. There's no need for extra causes. Don't bring in the God hypothesis, you might say, to make things even more complicated. And Thomas says, well, you know, when it comes to a lot of individual things, maybe you, in a limited framework, don't actually need to bring in God. But if you're thinking about the totality, or even if you're thinking it through all the way with these natural and artificial beings that we're surrounded by, then you actually do need God in order to complete the picture. He says, natural causes act for definite purposes under the direction of some higher cause so that their effects must be referred to God as the first of all causes. Why, for example, does digestion work the way that it does? You could say, well, it's evolution. It's all these different things coming together. You could come up with all sorts of interesting scientific explanations. And Thomas would say, yeah, great. That's really interesting. Is that the fundamental cause for why, say, digestion works the way that it does? Even the process of evolution, you could say, if you're, if you're willing to do this, as some Thomists in the 20th century have been, well, what structures that? What actually governs that? It's got to be some sort of intentionality, some sort of intelligence. Even if you say it's completely random, who allowed it to be random like that? I mean, there we're getting a little speculative going beyond the text. But he says, in the same manner, contrived effects, that is things that have been, that are coming from human conceptions, human plans, ex propositio, all of them have to be referred to a higher cause than human understanding and, and will, for these are changeable and can cease to be. And all changeable things and all things that can cease to be requires some first cause. So if you want to say, well, the reason why all of these human-made things are the way they are is somebody at some time thought about it and decided to do things that way, that's great. What made it possible for there to be a human being to think and to decide? There has to be a first cause for that. Notice it's not saying that the first cause is in any way directly causing the human thinking or willing. It's just saying you want human beings to do thinking and willing. You got to have a cause for that, right? And you can't trace it back indefinitely. There has to be some first cause. And this is what we call God. So the second objection actually leads right into Aquinas's five ways, which, and here's the last thing I'll say about this. The five ways can be understood in an apologetic sense as ways that a person would prove to him or herself if they're doubting or to another person who doesn't think that there is a God, ways to prove or demonstrate that God exists. That's the way Thomas arranges them. They can also be understood in a deeper sense as ways for a person who does believe that God exists to better understand what God is. They're not providing a rich conception of what God is, of course, in saying that God is the first mover or God is the first cause or God is necessary being. That's not telling you a hell of a lot, but it is providing some advance in understanding of what this thing that people are calling God would in fact be. So the arguments or the ways are really providing two different things. There's an apologetic ground to it or purpose. And then there's, you might call it a get to know God sort of direction to them as well. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. 
You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.